Did you know that you could get even longer interviews with some of the most successful creators? You can with How I Built It Pro. With How I Built It Pro, you get extended ad-free versions of every episode. We cover things like pricing memberships, how to make course creation even faster, building a creator business while also parenting, current events, and more. Plus, you'll get bonus episodes where I offer a behind-the-scenes look at what I'm working on, the revenue for my own creator business, experiments, and video demos of the tech I talk about on this show. You can join How I Built It Pro today for just 5 bucks a month or 50 bucks a year. Sign up over at howibuilt.it slash pro or use the link in your podcast app. Look, I'll cut to the quick. Yes, as a creator, you still need a lawyer. Actually, the rise of the creator economy reminds me a lot of the rise of the online freelancer from the early 2000s. The internet has made making money so easy. Most people don't do their due diligence into making sure they're setting up an actual business and not just having a bunch of money go tax-free to their personal checking account. That's why I called my friend Sam. See, she became a young, successful lawyer before throwing it all away to start a food blog. That flopped. But she learned from that experience. And today she helps online educators, coaches, and creators through her legal knowledge and experience. In today's episode, we're putting that knowledge to the test. This was an absolutely great conversation from her backstory to how she started her legal business. And then we do eventually get to the questions I want to ask her. And the one I really want you to look for is about the difference between sponsorship and work for hire. That was a contract negotiation I was going through at the time. But the other top takeaways are the uh, three important things that she did when starting her legal business, uh, what you need to do contractually when you sell digital products, and why you should submit at least your big important content to the U.S. Copyright Office. You can find links to everything that we talk about over at howibuilt.it slash 307 or in your podcast player. Thanks to this week's sponsors, the solo CEO, Groundhog and LearnDash. You'll hear about them later on. But for now, let's get to the intro and then the interview. Hey, everybody, and welcome to How I Built It, the podcast where you get free coaching calls from successful creators. Each week, you get actionable advice on how you can build a better content business to increase revenue and establish yourself as an authority. I'm your host, Joe Casabona. Now let's get to it. All right. I am here with Sam Vanderweelen, CEO and founder of Sam Vanderweelen LLC. We're going to learn why it's called that, right, uh, later. Um, of course, like my main company is called Good House Media, which is just like my name translated from Italian to English. Um, but I'm really excited about that. We just had a great pre-show. So if you want to hear that and this episode ad-free, head on over to howibuilt.it slash pro. Five bucks a month, 50 bucks a year. It's like less than one coffee uh, per month. So um, good deal. Yeah, right. So <laughs> let's bring in Sam. I've talked too much. Sam, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Joe? I am doing great. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, you This season, 
is filled uh, filled with people from craft and commerce, and then Jay Klaus's Creator Science Lab. Oh, okay. Um, such like a rich community of creators I've been introduced to in the last year or so, which is really exciting. That's so cool. Um, we met yeah. such a cool group of people at Craft and Commerce. We really yeah. did. Like it was, uh, I'm, I'm so excited to go again, right? When this episode comes out, I think we're like a couple of months yeah. uh, from that. I'm also going to CEX. Are you going to CEX? No, buddy. You'll have to tell me about yeah. it because I would like Cre- to go. Yeah. Cre- I think it's called the Creator Economy Expo or something like that. It's like in, in Cleveland, Ohio in May. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm like in a frust- I'm like in a frustrating distance where it, you can't it's like drive. yeah am I gonna yeah. drive or fly yeah. like it's yeah. probably gonna be six in one half a dozen in the other yeah um I guess it'll depend on gas prices but that's um, true that could be expensive yeah so it's I'm really excited to do that like one two punch of like craft like CEX and then a month later craft and commerce that's cool um yeah. and like they're doing a new venue I think this year right. At crafting commerce—that's what I yeah. heard. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, Nathan was not to name drop Nathan Barry, but he was like telling me about that at some point last year because I guess Jump decided that they want to do like only nonprofit stuff now. Okay. Um, I'm like a little bit bummed because the Airbnb I was at was this like tiny house walking distance to the venue. Oh wow! And it was like four hundred dollars total, and wow. I was like, "Are you? Do you know what you have here?" Yeah. And then I tried to book it again, um, but it like wasn't available for booking. And I'm like, ah, she figured out what she has here. No, I think. <laughs> yeah, seriously, that sucks. Well, either way, it'll so, be fun. Yeah, I'm really psyched. And like, yeah. um, I I did the bring a friend ticket, and so yeah. my friend Brian's gonna come with me. And we're gonna split whatever, where, whatever awesome. situation that we decide to do. So that's awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Um. Awesome. So let's let's get into this. First of all, in the pre-show, we were, you mentioned that you're from Philly, living in in New York on Long Island now. Uh, I am from New York, an hour north of the city, which is not upstate, listeners. Um, <laughs> and I'm living just outside Philly now. So it's I think it's funny we've like switched places. Yeah. How's it um, going for you out there outside of Philly? You know, it's okay. As we record this, it is the Thursday before the Super Bowl, and I I'm know. a Giants it's be fan. Crazy. I um my daughter goes to Catholic school. And but like they'll they can dress down for the Super Bowl if they yeah. wear like Eagles gear, and she's in kindergarten. So, but I'm like, what's gonna? Ha- is she gonna get in trouble if I send her with like a Giants gear? Or whatever? She might get beaten up. Joe. I know, right? I know, right? <laughs> Seriously. Um, and my wife's like, just let her wear the Eagles shirt yeah. that we're borrowing from my cousin or whatever. I'm like, yeah, fine. I was like, but if you say go birds, <laughs> that is as bad as a curse word in this yeah. house. <laughs> I, heard, I heard on the Philly news yesterday that people going to jury duty instead of saying present when they get called on are saying go birds. <laughs> I saw the same thing. I think yeah. uh, I think I saw it on, on Mike, Mike Pacquiao's yeah, yeah. Instagram. Yeah. That was so, dark. It's oh, so, man. So Philly. <laughs> it's very Philly. I know. It's yeah. like, I mean, I appreciate their vigor, passion, and vigor. <laughs> um, like, like in New York, it's like we're very like maudlin about like we're very passionate. But if they our team sucks, we're like whatever. Yeah, they suck. <laughs> They'll never be good again, right? Like, yeah. Whereas, like in Philly, it's like almost an undeserved level of confidence. Not this year, obviously. The Eagles yeah. are amazing, but. It's the once in a lifetime they, they landed. <laughs> yeah. Those two things converge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the confidence converged with the actual talent. <laughs> so awesome. Well, this has been Sports Corner on how I I know, it. right? That would um, be fun. I love, so first of all, I have like a strong interest in just law stuff in general. I was talking about this on the pre-show. I have like a um, probably um, like, un what's the word I'm looking for? Not unearned, but like a irrational fear of getting sued. 
Um, and so I consume like a lot of legal stuff. So I love your podcast. It's like short and like very helpful. Um, and so first I want to talk about, um, you know, I think the the traditional path for most lawyers, right, is like go to law school, take the bar exam, get a job at a law firm, become an associate, become a partner, right? Mm-hmm. Is that like, that's accurate? Yep, that's accurate. So what, um, when did you realize you wanted to like diverge from that path? Yeah. So I raced through like high school, college, straight to law school. I was 23 when I became a lawyer. I was really young. Wow. And so I went straight to a really big firm in Philly, actually, like thousands of lawyers at this place. And uh, pretty much the day that I walked in, I sat in this office in a giant skyscraper on like the 70th floor uh, in Philly. And was like, what the heck did I do? Like, how <laughs> how did I get here? And it was just one of those things where it's like you race through something so much, like with this goal in mind, but you never really stop to think, do I actually want to do that? And yeah. it wasn't until I got there that I was like, oh, shoot, this is not what I want to do. And over the years, I noticed that one of the things, like I was doing a lot of business law. And one of the things I always noticed was that like, I was really interested in helping our clients from like the business perspective. And I was bringing in a lot of business for a very, very young associate. I was going out and starting to generate hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue for the firm already. And like nobody even remotely close to my age was doing anything like that. So I very quickly became very interested in that part. And that's what made me be like, "Mm, I feel like I'm more of a businesswoman. And then like, I don't want to do all this like attorney stuff. And I was a litigator. So I was in court a lot. I was arguing, I was writing a lot. And it's a lot of good skills to have, but I I really just enjoyed the business side. Um, And I actually had a really uh, scary like plane incident flying home from Amsterdam back to Philly Mm -hmm. that where the plane like dropped really badly and rolled, like rolled to the left. And Mm -hmm. I just had this like really intense, besides like all the tears and the crying, I had this like really intense moment of clarity where I realized that I had been acting like this life had been like put on me and that there Mm -hmm. was nothing I could do about it. So I decided like literally within three days, I bought a domain. I registered a business. I like did all of the things, but actually not for this business. I wanted to go do something different. I like needed to get away from the law. Mm-hmm. And I went and started a health coaching business. And like, actually oh, wow. I wanted to teach people how to cook. That's like what I love to do. I just love to cook. So it was like that. I feel like everyone in the online space has had this like foray into like one of their hobbies, like turning yes. like a hobby into a business. And that's, that yeah. was my first thing. So that's kind of how it all happened in 2016. Wow, that's wild. You know, when I was like a student freelancer, right? Like my first like, because I started in high school um, with web design. Yeah. And like the thing I would tell my friends, they're like, Joe, like how do you like always have money? And I'm like, because I have clients. Like I, I don't just do the work study job, right? Yeah. Like I, and so um, I would say like, just like take something you like to do and charge people for it. And they're like, I don't, nobody will pay for what I want. And I'm like, but they will. Like, yeah. Like I make scrapbooks, and I'm like scrapbook. That's like a, you can make money doing that. Like obviously, I can't make a scrapbook, but yeah. anyway, um, yeah. So that's that's really interesting. Um, since then, like as an adult with a business and and children and other things, I'm very um diligent about keeping my hobbies as hobbies. Yeah, I've learned that. I learned that lesson. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. why my first business was a flop in that sense because mm. I. I mean, I needed it and, and I needed to have the yeah. experience. It was super helpful to like start a business. Also like enter into this creator space that I was like, what is this place? Like yeah. what's going on here? People are selling stuff and like just selling their expertise and like 
what is a mastermind? What's a landing page? What's an email list? You know, like this whole thing was new to me. And so I got to learn the language. I, thank goodness, got to make all my mistakes on that business and also learn that hard like hobby lesson of like, yeah, I love to cook. And that's why I don't feel like documenting all of it, talking about it all the time, writing about it all the time. Like I wanted to just go and cook like after I worked, not for my work. Yeah, Yeah. that's, I started a podcast called Late to the Party. And it was like a West Wing. Like it wasn't rewatch. I was watching it for the first time in like 2017. Um, So I was like 10 years late to this party. And I was like, oh, this is such a fun concept. And it was like doing pretty well. And then have you seen West Wing? I have not. Okay. So it's a great show and I won't That's spoil. That's what I heard. Yeah. Yeah. I won't spoil this. So, but there's one episode where like I just forgot to take notes. And then I was like, I should really be enjoying this show. Yeah. Like it's like a job. It's, it's, it's it has turned into a job for yeah. me now. Yeah. Um, and so like late to the party was a very show. Like that like pod faded into, oblivi- into oblivion. That's a really good idea though. But yes, you're right. I feel like we all... I mean, as multi-passionate entrepreneurs, I think it's it can be a dangerous proposition that you start like you can be multi-passionate about a lot of different things, but they don't have to be your business. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Right. So like, yeah, I play the drums, but right. like, I'm never gonna. I think it makes you interesting. Yeah, I just don't think that I need to like now monetize every single thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, so uh, you started a cooking coaching business that didn't go so well. Yeah. Um. Then what made you, I feel like a lot of people would get discouraged at that point and be like, oh, well, maybe I'm not cut out for entrepreneurship. Yeah, I think though getting exposed to this whole world, like that part really lit me up where I was like, oh, I really like this. Like I mm. love creating content. I I love like engaging with customers. I love the marketing side. I still do. Like all of that kind of stuff really lit me up and interested me. I just didn't love the topic that I was talking mm-hmm. about. And at the same time, I could not stop the flow of people contacting me to be like, so I'm going to start a business. And like, I see you used to be a lawyer. So like, can you tell me what's an LLC? And like, what kind of contract do I need? And at first I would be like, no, 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 this isn't what I do. Like, I really didn't want to be even associated with it. I was like, stop Mm -hmm. thinking of me. That's what I used to do. Not anymore. And then the more people who contacted me, I was like, you know, maybe I should just start to listen and pay attention. And like, why are you coming to me? Because I would like poke around and be like, there's some other people doing this, but like at that time, way fewer, you know, than now. And I was like, why Why are you contacting me about it? And then I started getting feedback about something they didn't like about somebody who was doing it or something that they couldn't find that didn't exist yet or something that didn't speak to them. And I started noticing patterns in all of these people who were asking me this. And I was like, I think I might try to give this a go and start a legal business. Nice. That's awesome. Um- yeah, and it makes sense, right? Like I again, like recovering WordPress developer. When people ask WordPress questions like online, I try not to answer them. Yeah. But like, you know, in this creator community, they're like, "Is there anybody who knows this?" And I'm like, like you know, handling like high level redirects or whatever. And I'm like, I mean, I have this skill. I might as yeah. well. And so, like, you know, I won't make the websites anymore, uh, except for me, obviously. But uh. If someone wants to like pay for an hour of my time to pick my brain about it, I'll I am open to that. Right. Um, yeah, you get to choose that as a business yeah, owner. That's what's cool. Exactly. Um, so I actually have one more question going back to your cooking coaching business because yeah. now you are leaving a big law firm in Philly where you're doing well. 
to start a cooking business. Yeah. Um, what did your family, assuming you were, you still talk to your family. Yeah. What did your family say about that? You know, my family didn't think like, I think they thought I was like such a hustler that they were like, that That makes sense because I just nice. feel like I've always been this person who like landed on my feet and I made everything work for me. And I didn't feel as much judgment from them about like, transitioning from lawyer to this as I did from some friends and then definitely colleagues. Like I, Mm -hmm. and and a lot of my friends were kind of in the like lawyer space or were people from law school and stuff like that. And I got this like very like, you're doing what? Like you're leaving what to do what? And that was really tough. And I talk about this actually a lot on my podcast about how like that was really tough because in those beginning days, like you don't really have very many, like much confidence. And then for other people to start doubting you, you're like, are they right? Like, is are, are they right? Like, this is going to be a total idiot decision, you know? And so that was really, that was really tough in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I bet, you know, it's funny because about a year ago, uh, I don't know if you follow David Sparks, Max Sparky online. No, He's really, he's an interesting guy. He runs like the Automators podcast. He's like a giant Mac nerd. He's like kind of an Apple stand and that bothers me like a little bit, but like so am I. So it's fine. Um, But he was a lawyer Mm -hmm. for, he's like, I think he's in his late fifties or early sixties now. And so for a long time, he was doing like his lawyer work and also running Mac Sparky. And he decided last year, he was just going to stop doing the lawyer work. And he said the worst reactions he got were from his clients who were like, you're going to what? Like, you're going to leave this, like, well-paying thing to make podcasts? Like, make content? And uh, I'm like, that's so wild. Like, my dad's a boomer. uh, And so, like, when I told him I was going to, like, leave my business to start my own business with a um, three-month-old, he was... He, like supportive but hesitant because mm-hmm. like that's not what he did right that's not what yeah. you do uh, he did like give me an, an like an, a small investment which was like a nice gesture yeah it's helpful <laughs> um, yeah it was very like it was very like I'll trust you but just like be mindful of what you're doing <laughs> yeah I'm it's funny you say that because I'm actually working on I want to write a book and so I'm finishing mm. up my book proposal right now and I'm like right at the finish line. I hope by the time this airs, it will be done out into the world. And hopefully I will have a book agent. So everybody yes. cross your fingers. But um, I wrote this intro about the briefcase culture, as I call it, and how we're like leaving the briefcase culture behind. Because my there was a little nod to my dad who thought that like nobody was legitimate as a business person unless they like carried a briefcase. And I was like, dad, <laughs> we don't need briefcases anymore. We don't go anywhere. Like there's nothing to do. Yeah, um, that's so and funny. so it was like so funny, but also it would always show me like my my dad, you know, rose up in like the 70s, 80s of the business world. And it's a yeah. totally different world than it is today. So I think that's so interesting. And when I left the law, I was like, okay, if I could just like make, I don't know, 70, $80,000, like that would be incredible. And that's enough. Like, that's all I need. I don't need to make like what a lawyer does or I, that's fine. I'll be totally fine. And the fact that now I have a business that makes more in a week or two than I did in a year as a lawyer is just wow. bananas to me. And that was yeah. not my goal, uh, which goes back to why my business is named what it's named. But I, but that was not my goal or my plan. And now I'm, I'm very in kind of still in awe and pretty amazed that this is where we are. This episode is brought to you by Groundhog. 
Groundhog is an open source CRM and marketing automation suite for serious agencies, small businesses, content creators, e-commerce experts, and WordPress professionals. Groundhog allows you to create funnels, automate email and SMS communications, and manage your contacts from the comfort of your WordPress dashboard. Unlike other SaaS CRM platforms, Groundhog does not charge you a success tax. Groundhog charges a flat rate fee, regardless of the size of your list. Groundhog will never charge you more as your list grows. It also integrates with all of the top WordPress, e-commerce, LMS, and membership plugins to create a unified customer experience. Start now with a 14-day demo for $1. Go to howibuilt.it slash groundhog. That's howibuilt.it slash G-R-O-U-N-D-H-O-G-G. Or use the code HOWIBUILTIT for 20% off your first year of any plan. Thanks so much to Groundhog for sponsoring this episode of How I Built It. This episode is brought to you by LearnDash. Look, I've been making courses for a long time. I've taught at the college level and I've created curriculums for several different organizations, including Udemy, Sessions College, and LinkedIn Learning. When I create my own courses, there's no better option than LearnDash. LearnDash combines cutting-edge e-learning tools with WordPress. They're trusted to power learning programs for major universities, small to mid-sized companies, startups, and creators worldwide. What makes LearnDash so great is it was created by and is run by people who deeply understand online learning and adds features that are truly helpful for independent course creators. I love the user experience. And now you can import Vimeo and YouTube playlists and have a course created automatically in seconds. I trust LearnDash to run my courses and membership, and you should too. Learn more at howibuilt.it slash learndash. If you listen to this show, you know it's an amazing time to be a creator. It's never been easier to get paid for your expertise. But being a high-performing creator is a different ballgame. High-performing creators generate consistent monthly recurring profits. They trust the process and don't overlook the essential fundamentals of business. They are dedicated to becoming masters of their craft and creating more customer value. And high-performing creators are business owners as much as they are artists. If you want to become a high-performing creator that earns a living from selling your expertise, then I recommend you join the Solo CEO Club today. Surround yourself with other high-performing creators. Expand your influence, increase your income, and cultivate a deep impact on your customers through meaningful interactions. Become a member of the Solo CEO Club today by visiting jointhescc.com. Again, that's J-O-I-N-T-H-E-S-C-C.com. And you can get 33% off your first month with the coupon code CASABONA. The Solo CEO Club, where creators become high-performing experts. So 
let's get into starting your legal business now, right? You were getting a lot of questions in your legal background. Uh, and dear listeners, I promise we will get to some, uh, at least burning legal questions I have that you probably, yeah. I'll probably put chapter markers in here, right? Like the founder story and then like the, the questions. But yeah. why is your business called, uh, named after you? Yeah, so when I started that fledgling uh, cooking business, it was called Huga Wellness because I, at the time, was really into the Danish concept of being Huga and like cozy mm-hmm. and slowing down. I mean, because I really wanted to be like very anti-lawyer. Like I wanted yeah. to chill out and like slow down and pay attention to what was important in life. And everybody would be like, what's it called? How do you spell it? Well, I can't find your website. And I'd be like, mm-hmm. it's hookahwellness.com. Like, it's not that hard. And and so I had such a hard time with it. And I was always like arguing with everybody about how to pronounce it and how to spell it. That I, that I was like, and then that business failed. That I was like, if I'm starting this business, I don't even know if it's going to work out. It probably won't work out. So I'm not even wasting the time with like coming up with something creative and having to have a cool name. I'm like, Sam Vanderwillen LLC. That's what we're calling it. It probably won't work out anyway. So then that way it'll be super easy just to like wind it up or I can start some other kind of business. Mm -hmm. And I always joke with everyone that I'm like the poster child for self-belief because like I didn't I didn't think that this is where I would be. And like some I wish I would have heard somebody say that because I feel like I always saw these other people who were just like they never had any doubt in themselves. And I couldn't really relate to that. And I was like, well, I did. Yeah. (laughs) I had a ton. Constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Still do. So it's like I I just yeah, that's why. So I yeah. was, I thought it'd be easier to undo when I failed. <laughs> that's so funny. That's like, uh, that, I feel like I, my first go is never a good name. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, like my first like business was called like JLC Web Design, mm-hmm. Joseph Lewis Casabona. Um, and then like I renamed it to like Manifest Development and uh, like, which was pretty good. Yeah, I thought, good. but. Like then my online courses were called WP in one month for like WordPress in one month, except like it wasn't just WordPress and it wasn't just in one month. <laughs> and then like creator courses. And then I thought of like podcast liftoff and I'm like, ah, I got to just like pick something more. I don't know. Podcast liftoff. Great brand. Right. Yeah. But, but then like, it also has like the profitable podcaster newsletter, which is a good name. And I just registered like the podcast automator.com. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause like, that's like, that's what I want to be. That's like, I think the niche, the niche of my niche, That's I think cool. is a good place. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Doubt. I Every time the stakes change for me, I have doubt, right? It's so tough. like high school, it was like, I just hope I do a good job. And like college, it was like, oh yeah. So maybe I hope I do good enough to like not need a job after college. And then after college, it was like good enough to like support myself. And then I did get like a real job, quote unquote. And then, <laughs> and now it's like good enough to support my family good enough to support my family in a house, good enough to support my three children now. Like the number of my children tripled during yeah, the pandemic. It's a lot. <laughs> I know, it's a lot. The little carrot keeps going forward. Yeah, so. For sure. So yeah, I mean, self-doubt. I There's, it's, I think it's healthy, right? Yeah. It's, there's like a balance between like doubt and hubris that you want to find. Yeah, I don't so. want to be a narcissist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I never, my one of my biggest fears is like, having so much hubris that I refuse to learn new stuff. Yeah, that's like, really Like, oh, dangerous. I already know everything. Like, that's like high school. That was high school me. 
Yeah. I just thought I knew everything already. That's why um, my favorite word is curiosity. I really try to think of it many times throughout the day to be like, I just want to remain curious to this experience, yes. to this conversation, to that idea that you just shared. Like, I just am like, hmm, that's interesting. And I want to think about it. And I just try to remain open. I think it's been really helpful as a business owner. Oh, that's awesome. That's like something I'm trying not to like destroy in my children. Because, mm. you know, they're very inquisitive. And my daughter, especially. Like, if I say a word she doesn't know, the meaning of she always asks me what it means. That's awesome. She's yeah, so she, it's great. She's yeah. like very. She's like what I wish I was like as a kid, but like as a parent, I'm just like just please just do what like, I ask you. It's fine. Like, stop. Yeah, like we don't need all the definitions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like I'm like oh, I gotta find that right balance. Like yeah, not like crush hard. that or like the the questioning everything. Like it's I want her to question authority. Mm-hmm. I question authority. Mm-hmm. But I don't want her to question my authority. It's a very hard balance. <laughs> I don't blame you. Yeah, it's tough. Um, so when did you decide to wind down the word of our Hugo? Huga. Huga. This was the problem. <laughs> um, yeah, it was in 2016. It was like barely lasted about a year. And then okay. uh, started up the Sam Vandy Real and LLC right away. Started selling legal templates. And as a fellow WordPress guy, you'll be very happy to hear that within like three hours of making my website live, I had a sale through WooCommerce that nice. I was like, a human being bought a legal template. <laughs> like I could not believe it. I like called everyone I knew. And then it was just like, next thing I knew, those sales just started coming consistent, like daily at first, then multiple times a day. And it really took off actually pretty quickly. That's amazing. And that's like the best feeling, isn't it? Like the first time I remember the first course I sold on my own, I was like at a bar yeah, and I got a little notification and I was like, oh my God. This is like the dream. I yeah. am doing something else. Yeah. And I just made money. <laughs> it's really awesome. And yeah. I, in the beginning, when people would purchase, I would send them a handwritten note because they would have to put like their address in WooCommerce. Yeah. So I would send them a thank you note. And then a few months in, I guess, I was like backed up like 50 thank you notes. And that's when I knew, I was like, oh, I think this has become like a thing and I can't write thank you notes anymore. <laughs> it's yeah. like my hand hurts. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Like that's like, that's like good advice that harkens back to Drew Dillon, mm-hmm. who... um runs Burb, but I just, I don't know if you, are you familiar with Burb at no. all? No. Uh, Burb is like a, well, it was because in between the interview I just did and this one, I got an email that Burb is shutting down. Oh, no. Um, But like, they were like a, they added a bunch of like community-based automations on top of Circle. That's cool. Um, So yeah, so I, I want to dig into that and like maybe reach out to him, but he offered great advice on episode 299. Um, like do things that don't scale at first. Mm -hmm. And like, that's like a perfect example, right? Because like those first, like several sales, you're surprising and delighting them by like writing them a handwritten note. Um, And just at some point, like it's just not feasible to do that anymore. Yeah, I needed reps. I needed like a lot of exposure. And that's also then I would talk to them to be like, why do you need this contract? What kind of business do you have? How are you using it? Do you have any questions about it? And then I would use all that feedback to make the product like better and better and better. And I kept adding to the product, changing the copy on the sales pages. Like I it just kept, it was like a little machine every single day I was doing. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. So let me ask you, um, like within three hours of setting up your site, you had a sale. How did you find, because like this is, if, if this is like the, like Joe Casabona therapy hour, um, this is the thing I'm struggling with right now. Like finding, cause again, I moved from WordPress developer to podcast coach and consultant. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically like when we met at craft and commerce, 
I was less than a month into being all in on on the podcast consulting stuff. Yeah, I remember. Um, so like, how did you how did you find people, or how did people find you? I guess I became really into SEO, and so okay. I was like, you know, I think especially for what I do, people are going to be searching for like. They're going to be Googling like coaching contract template or like mm. blogger template, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I started just poking around. I mean, I was probably doing a terrible job at that time, but I was trying and looking, doing keyword research and all this stuff. And my little plan was that I would write 10 blog posts that were like hyper SEO optimized. And they were all like cornerstone foundational blog posts that also then pointed back to the products that were on my site. And so it would like, I had like a blog post of like, what is in a good coaching contract or like do contract, do coaches need contracts? Like something like this that I saw that people were Googling and like 10 steps to start an online business legally, um, stuff like this. And then that's what drove all my initial traffic. They actually, those original 10 still drive a ton of traffic. And I am still uh. greatly, greatly benefiting from Google traffic. I get a ton of Google traffic. Interesting. That is definitely something I should leverage, but don't. I'm, so I'm, as, as we speak, I'm reading... Um, not the exact moment we're speaking, obviously, because I'm speaking. But, uh, <laughs> that would be real talent. <laughs> I know, right? Um, I'm reading uh, $100 Million Offers by oh, yeah. Alex Hormozzi. And if nothing else, his like exercise for like figuring out what people want and then like all the problems they think of has given me an idea for like 25 new pieces of content. Oh, I bet. And so, like, I feel like even if I don't, like, have my Grand Slam offer at the end of this book, um, I will have a bunch of content that are definitely questions I get asked regularly. Yeah. Yeah, so. for sure. I think that's really smart. I I think SEO is often overlooked um, and because, we're, you know, social is easy to get sucked into and all that kind of stuff. But I always tell my customers that to me, it's like the equivalent of like walking into like a very crowded warehouse where like everybody else is already on a megaphone and like you have a megaphone too. And you're trying to just like yell louder on the megaphone than they're all on their megaphones. That's, that's kind of how it feels to me. Instead of like walking into a room full of people who like showed up to a talk you're going to give, <laughs> like because yeah. they wanted to be there. And that's, that's how Google feels to me. And I think also you can carry those principles over to other things you do in your business. Like even when I create content for social media, I'm still doing it from a search worthy perspective and I'm doing it from an evergreen perspective. So every single piece of content that I create has a place that it leads someone to in my business that then leads to a funnel of some sort that brings them down a very methodical path. And so I'm very, very intentional about everything that I do. Oh, that's great. I love that. And um I like the I like the warehouse analogy too. Yeah. It's also like you're in the warehouse and now they're like not letting you leave, right? Yeah. Like that's like the <laughs> biggest, you know, I um uh I don't want to be the podcaster who says this on every episode for like a whole season, but like I left Twitter um, yeah. and uh, it was just like, you know, it's nothing against Elon, even though I don't like Elon. Um, it was not because of him. It, well, it's not because of him as a person. It's it just seems it, like, like it turned into a toxic place, right? Yeah. 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 And like they killed third party apps. Right. And like I spent a lot of time curating a Twitter experience that didn't aggravate me. Mm. And then like basically overnight that was gone. And I'm like, why am I going to stay someplace that aggravates me? Yeah, yeah. That's um, annoying. So that's also why I'm like not on Mastodon, right? Because like it's people are the problem, not the platform. And like right. if everybody's leaving Twitter to go to Mastodon, 
It's just going to be people aggravate me there. And I'll still have to curate that Yeah, it sounds about again. right to me. LinkedIn yeah. has been great for me, I think. Yeah, that's what people say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what what's your social media platform of choice? Usually Instagram because probably because I'm visual I'm like very visual. So I remember mm-hmm. I was like attracted to Instagram when I first started to be like, I'd rather see pictures and video, you know, and all mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, so I enjoy that. And then doing like little short form content there is helpful, like taking snippets of the podcast and like nice. in more like infographic type stuff. I think for what I do, that's super helpful. Um, and then my email list is like a huge, I know it's not social, social, but it's like, that's, that is a huge driver for me and something I focused on a lot over the years. Yeah, that's great. And so, so this is another strategy I'm really interested in. And after the strategy, we'll get to some of the, some of your area of expertise, like legal wise. Um, but you mentioned that like your cornerstone content points directly to products, right? Yep. One of perhaps a strategy that's not working super well for me um, is, my, I have a lot of, I put out a lot of content. So I think part of my problem is like quantity over quality. Mm. Um, and then I have like opt-ins kind of based on category in WordPress. Uh, but they all point back to my mailing list. Mm. Um, so how are you building your mailing list versus sending people directly to products like is there like a rubric that you use for that or is it like gut feeling or is there some other strategy? yeah for the most part my goal is to get anybody on the email list so I'm looking for one of the top of funnel like entry points so I have mm-hmm. a free legal workshop called five steps to legally protect your online business that like over 50,000 people have signed up for it I think as wow. of now if not more than that. So I have that. And then I have handful like checklists and guides and stuff like that. So wherever it's like relevant, I I kind of point to one of those. So my main goal is always getting people to sign up for that. This year, actually, thanks to Craft and Commerce, after Craft and Commerce, I had this idea that I wanted to create what I'm calling an easy email list sign up. So people now, because people really like my emails, fortunately, and like there's a high engagement and people mm-hmm. always say that they, they really get a lot out of them. So I wanted to make it really easy for people to sign up for my emails and just get the emails themselves because the emails are super valuable. And I always have soft promos in my emails um, at yeah. the bottom. And so I created uh, forms that where they can sign up for these and get my twice weekly emails without going through any sort of marketing sequence. And we're still seeing really good like conversion rates even from that. Um, and so that's been super interesting. And the thing that I've been encouraging people to do and talking a lot about is that you have to have an email that has value in and of itself. So I have a weekly Q&A series email where every single Thursday I answer a reader's que- a legal question that somebody has submitted and everybody gets to read the answer. So it's like, there's a benefit to signing up. It's not just like hearing about something that I'm doing or whatever. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, Because I just, I feel like I just did the opposite, right? I've been like consuming a lot of like Robin Kennedy or whatever and like my friend Jason Resnick. Um, And how like basically the first thing everybody who gets on your list should see is a welcome sequence. Right. Um, That's what I do for everything else, but not for this. They get one email that's just like, thanks for joining the, like, the easy email. Okay. Sign up. I'm Sam. This is what I do. Like, this is what you can expect around here. And then otherwise, you're just going to hear from me now every single Monday and Thursday. And that's Okay. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. I might experiment I made that. it super simple. We're just testing it out. We've had thousands of people sign up for it. So it was like, it's worth a that's shot. That's amazing. Do you do yeah. like paid? Do you like do paid ads or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, I do like Facebook ads. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah. they and they work for you? Tons. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um. Now, I'll put the quick caveat here. Um. You probably know how much a single subscriber is worth to you, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, if you don't know, then you shouldn't do paid no, ads. No, no. Paid yeah. ads are something. I waited years and years and years to do mm-hmm. ads. And I think nowadays too, like ads are more expensive. So you have to have, I mean, you know, people will tell you like, oh, if you can have an ad spend of like $1,000, $2,000, like it's great. I didn't really start seeing results until it was like 10, 20, 30, mm-hmm. 40, $50,000 a month. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. you know, you really start seeing massive returns, but Sometimes the returns are like 2.3, you know, return on ad spend. Other times, like this past week, we got like, uh, for a promo that we did, we got like nine points something return on ad spend for, for a promo. Wow. So it's like sometimes you get you get big, but that's also dependent on how much you're spending. And so when you hear people like me talk about that, just remember that that's taking like $40,000 in a week uh, to to spend on ads. That's a lot of money, right? And yeah. so, and definitely please don't ever do it if it's going to like, like I could do that and lose it all and the business wouldn't see a blip. And so that's that was also what I waited for was yeah. like that was not going to be a problem if right. that happened. And, you know, often I see people go into Facebook ads more out of desperation and thinking like, oh, if I invest my last $10,000, then I'll make $20,000. But that's not it. And so we right. need to give ourselves cushion. Yeah, that's like that's like trying to like uh, get the mortgage back on your yeah. house by going to the casino. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a, yeah. That's how it feels. Because it really, it takes a lot of time, a lot of experimentation. We were even experimenting with audiences this week. I've been, I just like pitched a whole new bunch of new audiences to the Facebook ads team on Tuesday. Like it's a, it's a constant moving experiment. I lose a lot of money on it and then we make a lot, you know, when we get it right. So it's like, yeah. it all comes out. It always is profitable in the end, but you have to have that like cash flow to be flexible with it. Right. You need yeah. the appropriate budget. Yes. And I think that's, that's super interesting and important to think about, right? Because people are like, you got to spend money to make money. And I'm like, but you got to like have money you to spend have money. to make, yeah, <laughs> have money to eat. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, good, exactly. Uh, and pay people and like, Stay afloat. Yeah. You yeah. should never be dipping into I have a friend who like spent her last twenty grand in the business on ads and they went really badly. She got really bad strategy advice, which was to like send people straight to a product instead of any sort of like warm up mm-hmm. or any freebie. And it went terribly. She she lost all of it. And so it's just not a good it's not not safe to do that. And I don't say that to scare anyone about Facebook ads. They can be done really well too. But right. I, I'm glad personally looking back that I really took my time with it and I waited till the business was a bit bigger. Yeah, I, I, it, it, it takes that, right? And like the important thing, right, is that when you started out, you had these organic ways to build your business. Yeah. And so like today, right, maybe the organic thing to do is like post and engage on LinkedIn and get people mm-hmm. onto your mailing list. Write those blog posts, repurpose those blog posts into a YouTube video or whatever. And yeah. so, um, there, there are definitely organic strategies to build that um, that cushion. And it probably takes a little bit longer. But, I mean, it, it definitely takes a little bit longer. But um, I think people don't realize yeah. that that's what's going to actually make your ad successful because you're going to make the most of your warm audience. And if you have no warm audience to sell to, then it's going to be a real, real long and real expensive process. And so like if you, I already had thousands of people on my email list. I already had tens Mm -hmm. of thousands of people visiting my website every month. So all that traffic was getting captured by Facebook. And then we were serving ads to those people who are already familiar and already coming anyway. So, and like all your followers on Instagram or wherever else, right? So that warm audience is going to be like your initial boost. And then from there, then we started, we started advertising to cold traffic because we, also, you can just use lookalike audiences on Facebook right. and you replicate and you start advertising to people who look like your current audience or yeah. purchasers. So, 
Yeah, and so either way, you need to know your you audience. You need to build right? it up. You need, yeah, you need people who trust you, right? I I met somebody at a conference, and then they reached out after the conference and wanted to connect, and they tried to sell me on like a ten thousand dollar coaching program. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I'm not interested in this. And um, you know, he tried a couple more times, and he's like, how come you're not interested? And I'm like, because I just met you. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not, I'm not willing to give, you know. I, in my mind, you haven't done anything to make me think that my $10,000 investment will net me more than $10,000. Right. Yeah. Um, so like you got you to gotta work on the trust factor. Yes, right? definitely. Um, like name dropping of one famous person is not enough. Not it. So, yeah. Um, but anyway. Uh, okay. This was such a fun conversation so far. We've been talking for a long time. Uh, let's Let's… Maybe we could do like a rapid fire, like legal round. Yeah, go as, for it. As rapid as, um, you know, you are uh, comfortable, right? And I don't know if you'll do the disclaimer, but you know, uh, I'm not a lawyer. Sam is a lawyer, but she's not your lawyer, right? Yeah, so <laughs> always talk like, to your own lawyer. Everything yeah, looks like t- talking to your own doctor. Like only they know you. They can tell you yeah, what to do. Yeah. And your personal yeah. situation, your financial situation, your tax situation, especially like I can give you advice or, or information really, but like, the point is you need individualized advice from somebody who knows you best and knows your situation. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I will say um, my um, brother-in-law is getting married and one of my like side hobbies is like looking over those kind of contracts. Yeah. Um, and he's like, can you look this over for me? And I'm like, okay, just understand I'm not a lawyer. Yeah. This could be totally normal, but these are the things I don't like about it. Yeah, right. There's always something um, not like. <laughs> yeah. That's like, we had a videographer for our wedding. Mm-hmm. Who had like an act of God contract, oh, or, yeah. a clause in their contract. Mm-hmm. Except like one of the clauses was like, if we don't show up on the day of your event, you still have to pay us. And I'm like, can you tell me what this means? And he was like, oh, basically that means if you change any of the information and don't tell us and we can't, and like, we don't know where to go, um, then you still have to pay us. And I'm like, that is not what yeah, this like clause says. Reads. Right. And then like, there was another one that was like, if... um. Oh, if you get a uh, copyright infringement cease and desist, you indemnify us. Right. Uh, And I was like, why would you be using copyright music in my video? Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, like if someone else puts music to it and uploads it to Facebook. And I'm like, that is not even remotely what this clause says, though. Um, So I was like, you got to change those. And he's like, but then we'd have to send it back to our lawyer. I'm like, you sure do. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, we're not going to do that. And I'm like, all right, I'm not going to hire you. Like, I can't agree to those yeah, terms. I don't but, blame you. Yeah. But it's usually not as dramatic as that. But yeah. I just like, I assume most people did not read this person's contract. Most people don't read them. That's yeah. the issue. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I, I told my brother in law, I was like, I don't know if they'll move on any of this stuff. But like, the fact that like they're making you, they're putting you on the hook for feeding your third party vendors. Like, I don't like that. Like, yeah. if the photographer wants to get fed, let him put it in his contract. Totally. Don't make the, like, don't, the venue shouldn't be putting you on the hook for that. So, like, they should redline that, but everything else they're probably not going to budge on. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, um, anywho. Okay, so, first of all, I'm selling digital products. I'm not engaging in any client work. Do I still need a... A contract? Like what is, how do I protect myself that way? Yeah, absolutely. So with digital products in particular, like whenever we're selling anything, it doesn't matter how we're selling it. Like if we're selling it through our site or like, I know people are like selling them through like stand pages on TikTok now and like all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So 
it doesn't matter. It's just like the fact that you're selling anything in exchange for money requires some sort of contract to be there. Um, and when we're selling digital products, because we don't have that opportunity to like, if you were entering into the, like, that $10,000 coaching contract you were talking mm-hmm. about, yeah. like that would be more like you would guys would have a conversation, then he would send you the contract, you would e-sign it, send it back. Like it's more of a traditional method. But right. when we're selling digital products, we have to include something at checkout that acts as a contract because the the like key legal thing that you all need to know is that you have to have the terms of whatever somebody's agreeing to at the time made available at the time that somebody is purchasing. So sometimes customers will come to me and they'll be like, oh, I have people buy my products. And then in the email that they get after they buy, I give them like this contract that they have to sign. But that's already gone. Like you've lost that opportunity. And so the example I always give is like final sale clothing. Like when you go to buy something that's final sale, it'll say final sale on the tag and there's usually a final sale sign. And then when you go to check out, they're always like, Hey Joe, you know that these jeans are final sale, right? And you say yes. And then you pay, you paying as you accepting the terms Mm -hmm. of that, you know, the, the agreement Mm -hmm. and you go on your merry way. If they were final sale and they never told you and it never said it anywhere and nobody ever brought it up and then you were only ever surprised after you paid, there would be no way that that could stick. That's why they tell you. That's why there's a sign. So I want you to think about that. Like when you're sending up your products, it has to be made available to people when they purchase um, so that they know what they're getting themselves into. They have to know like, do allow refunds? You know, how am I allowed to use this? Like all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Essentially, like before they give you money, they need to know. Yeah. What they're or at buying. least concurrently, yeah. like at the same time, yeah. right? They can like check off the box and pay or whatever, yeah. or at least has to be made available to them. Like if they decide to pay first and then they like check it off or whatever, that's fine. But they have to know what they're they're really agreeing to in exchange right. for the money. Um, and I at least do this through what's called terms of use. It's a like a, a contract of sorts, but it's just that it's a contract that you don't sign. You agree to it instead. Right. And you integrate that at checkout. That protects your intellectual property. Mm-hmm. Um, it describes what kind of license you're giving people, like a limited license, for example, to use it in a certain way. Um, it says that they can't like share it with other people. It allows you the ability to change it and update it in the future. Or like if it's a subscription, for example, okay. like maybe yeah. your prices are going to change, like that right. kind of stuff. That was that was my follow-up question, right? Like what because I mean like you see it all the time, right? I get like four a week that's like, hey, we've changed our we terms changed of our service. Terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like so you essentially have a clause in the initial terms of service that says like these could change at any time, right? Yeah, it says that you can change it and then tells people how they'll be notified. And so that's kind of what gives them like the legal peace of mind on their yeah. side. So you'll say, like, I reserve the right to change these at any time. You will be notified by email with like 14 days notice or whatever. And then the key as a business owner is just sticking to that. So what I always do is that like I include a PDF link to the terms that somebody agreed to in the delivery email or the welcome email, like whatever mm. you whatever you have. I'll be like, P.S. Joe, here's the copy of the link of the term to the link of terms of use that you agreed to when you purchased my program. And then um, if I ever update it, I just send everybody out an email and I go back to that original welcome email and everything and I update the PDF that's in there. That's that's super interesting. Um, and the reason I'm looking off screen, right, is because I realize that my terms of use and privacy policy are not on the home screen. They're actually in, only in the footer after you log in. So mm. like that's like big old mistake I'm making. I've been internet businessing for like 20 years. Yeah. Um, you just I have mean, to like, check out. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like, I, there's probably, I mean, I use paid memberships pro. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
full disclosure, they have sponsored this podcast in the past. I gave a legal talk for them. So they, yeah, we did talked. You really? to, yeah, we talked about this. I, I did a presentation for them. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, they live like so close. Yeah. Uh, they're on like Reading. Oh, that's um, awesome. Oh, man. I love Kim and Jason. They're the best. Um, yeah. So I assume, right, that there's probably like something that I need to check on this end to like show the terms of service. Maybe it's already there. Maybe this has happened and I just haven't tried it in a while. But the important part, right, is is have them. Are there, um, I'm using like some template that I found, mm-hmm. right, uh, that had the terms I thought were agreeable, right? Like I'm telling you how you could make money with your podcast, but I'm mm-hmm. not guaranteeing you're going to make money with your podcast or whatever, like stuff like that. As well as like, hey, you can, like you don't have license to copy this or sell it or whatever. Um, are there are there any like big terms of use mistakes that you see with creators? Yeah, people often don't like reserve their right to, you know, saying that this is copyright protected. I think often too, because people make the mistake of thinking that you have to register stuff with copyright in order for it to be protected. At the same time, people also make the mistake of not going and getting it registered so that they have the like prima facie like presumption of ownership. Yeah. And so it's like, that's that's a mistake. Um, I think people aren't often very clear. And so what I see when people try to do their own like agreements and write their own, what I end up seeing is a lot of redundancy that are contradictory. So they'll put in like multiple different paragraphs, but because people are like, this is all a bunch of legal, like gobbledygook, I don't know what this says. They include the kitchen sink and then it turns out that everything's just like canceling each other out like yeah. as they go on yeah. and it's super inconsistent. Um, so I see that. I see people constantly missing venue and choice of law clauses where we get, actually get to choose in America what state's law applies to our contracts. And you always just want your own states because you don't right. want to be subject to everybody else's laws, assuming that they could be worse, but also right. that you'd have to travel. Uh, same right, one. right. Yeah, same oh, with so, venue. So you I could. shouldn't just put Delaware because that's what everybody puts, no. right? <laughs> yeah, I'm also not a big proponent of this whole like registering your business in a million different places thing. Yeah. I don't think people understand what the tax implications are of that, that you, if you're running right. your business out of wherever you live and you, you have to, first of all, have your business register where you live and you have to pay taxes where you live. So like, it's it we as we used to say it's button chair that's what that's what matters and in the law is like, like it's that. where your butt's in the chair doing the work it's not like you can't just like register your business in Delaware and like call it a day you know so yeah. that's a lot of, that's a common misunderstanding um right. so there's that that's like I did ask my when I registered my LLC I asked my lawyer about that yeah like, I like can I put it I was Delaware? like all these tech businesses register in Delaware he's like you should register in Pennsylvania I'm like yeah. okay <laughs> because you still have to pay tax I mean for like Apple it makes sense but Apple also right. has a store at the Christiana Mall in Delaware. So like, right, you know, and right. they and then they have a office with like a desk and a chair and a lady right. or something who probably receives service of process for them. And like, right. they can afford to do that, but we're not doing that. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. And like, yeah, like you said, like there's the tax implication, right? Like, yeah. even though I sell a digital product, people in Pennsylvania that where my business is registered um, have to pay sales tax on those digital products. If they're, I mean, this is my understanding and I have an accountant who handles that for me. But if somebody in Pennsylvania buys my digital product, they have to pay sales tax on it. But like if you're in New York, from what I understand, you don't have to because you're not residing in Pennsylvania. That is my understanding. Yeah, sales tax is super confusing. And like most yeah. states currently aren't putting sales tax on 
digital, like those kinds of downloadable, like yeah. course material, oh, like where you like downloading that's what it videos. Is. Yeah, Pennsylvania has. That's yeah, extremely it's like, frustrating. It's weird there, but it's like not other places. And yeah. then so there's that, and then a lot of states also don't tax a lot of services, like uh, like if you're coaching or something, right. or like. Or if you're just like a influencer or something, like they're not taxing that kind of stuff. So it's a little tricky. Um, and there are, there are like WordPress plugins. I know for like WooCommerce, there's like WordPress plugins that you can yeah. use to like track all that stuff. It makes it a little bit easier, but it's that stuff is complicated. Um, but I, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Like I was at a class, uh, workout class at the gym the other day and the guy next to me, he kept asking the instructor to like make every move harder for him, but he was never doing the actual move itself like he would just like constantly talk about like how could I make this harder like how can I add weight to it I'd be like buddy why don't we like try doing the move first and you see if you can like even do it and that's sometimes how I feel I was thinking my brain always converts everything to business I was like this reminds me so much of business where we're like should I move my business to Delaware should I be doing this I'm like how about we just like start the business and then we see how it goes and if you become Apple we'll talk about moving the business to Delaware like yeah that's so funny I was talking to Melody Moore about this she'll be on the show in a couple of weeks as you listen to this but um she was saying the same thing right like we focus so much on trying to scale our memberships before we have any members. Yeah. <laughs> like, is like, scalable? <laughs> is this scalable? And I like, so for like my membership, for how I built a pro now, I'm like, I just said, screw it. I had a WordPress site. I said, screw it. I'm just going to do ConvertKit Commerce. And like, there are, there are important missing pieces to ConvertKit Commerce. Like you don't know when someone churns, but yeah. whatever. I had it up and running and they can get my private podcast and a newsletter. And That's so cool. like, until I get like a thousand people and like, 500 are churning and it's like actually costing me money um, for people to churn and like still get my content. Like I'm just going to not worry about it. Yeah. So I'm like, we'll solve that problem when it's a problem. Like if I'm making so much money that I need Delaware level protection, then I think I'll also have the money to hire a lawyer to move it there and like we'll work it out. So I just am like not that fussed about it. But I do wish like, I feel like people are often intimidated by what I do and about the legal steps of starting a a business or of of starting to legally protect your business. And that sometimes is coming from a place of like way overcomplicating it and not just Mm -hmm. dealing with like what we have right now. And like, let's just get the foundation in place and then you can, you can add on and layer on. Yeah. So I guess this is my, uh, another question I have, right? And first of all, quick follow-up. Um, I, not only do I have like a checkbox for the terms of use on the checkout page, but there's like a frame with the terms of use embedded. Perfect. So people can just scroll. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you, Paid Memberships Pro. Because I don't <laughs> remember doing that. I assume they just asked me what my terms of use page, page was. Right. And then probably. did it themselves. Yeah. yeah. So hooray. Um, how complicated do your terms of use need to be? Like mine's like, you know, a few paragraphs. It's not like a tome. Um, I I feel like sometimes there is, I feel like people, when they think of legalese, mm-hmm. it's like as generic and confusing as humanly possible to cover every known and unknown base, right? Yeah. This has been a very successful and mass conspiracy by the legal industry to make people think that things have to be written in legalese in order for it to be legally <laughs> enforceable. Like you yeah. can write things in plain English and it has every uh, as enforceable. The thing that I will like defend lawyers about that that, you know, we get like a knock for, though, is that we do have a way of being incredibly clear, uh, yeah, even yeah. though, you know, and so like that's really helpful. And I think that sometimes when people try to write in plain English, they end up like 
fumbling and not being super clear. So that is what's helpful about legalese is that there's a form, the formality sort of cuts through the ambiguous, like the ambiguous nature of like talking about the stuff. So that's helpful. But, uh, you know, contracts don't have to be long or like scary. I think that's like some of the funny things I, I get all the time is like, oh, I haven't wanted to buy your contract templates because I don't want to scare people off. And I'm like, what makes you think mine are scary? Like, actually, I bet right. you mine are less lengthy than a lot of the ones that people try to put together themselves because they're super tight. And so it's like, I don't know. I mean, for something in terms of use for a membership or a course or something, two, three pages is probably what you need once you're really, mm. especially if you have payment plans like that, add some bulk um, because there's a lot of language that needs to be there for payment plans. Mm. There's a lot of language that needs to be there if you're auto-charging people's credit cards without asking their permission every month. Um, in America, there are requirements for that. So like there's that. Then we have like whether or not you want confidentiality um, in there. It, that's really important for people who host like calls and like group programs and things like this. So it kind of depends on what you're doing. That's how I build my legal templates. Like they're fill in the blank style. And then every single one of them comes with like a video tutorial where I walk you through how to fill it out. And as I'm talking to you about it, I'm saying like, hey, if you don't do this, you can delete this part. If you do do this in your membership, make sure you keep this part in. This is what this is for. This is how you use it. So that's where it's helpful to have a little bit of support so that you only have what you need in there. And you can make it super clear, but they're not scary. And also contracts are meant to protect both. Like this is something I feel like people in the in the online business industry often forget. And we can sometimes just as business owners only think about everything from our perspective. And I'm always trying to remind my customers that their customers are like meeting a random person on the internet and then like signing up for their membership or buying their course or signing up for that $10,000 coaching package. Yeah. And you're like, man, I hope this guy shows up. Like, I, right. hope, I hope he's going to do what he said. So like they want to see a contract just as much as you want it so that you make sure you get paid. They want to make sure that they're paying for something and that they're getting what they think they're deserving. So yeah, just keep that in mind too, that like you might think it's scary, but they might think it's scary if you don't use one. Right. That's exactly right. And I love that point about like, it should protect both parties. Yeah. This has been something that I have always made sure like my contracts protected my clients as well. Like I'm not just going to up and leave. Right. Yeah. And like, even if you've only paid me half, like you get, you get what you've paid for already. Yeah. Right. So like, this is what I said to my brother-in-law about the venue contract. I was like, this contract doesn't protect you at all. Mm -hmm. I said, this basically says if you decide to cancel the event, they keep your deposit. And if they decide to cancel the event, they get to keep your deposit and could sue you and then get their legal fees right. like, paid by you. So I was like, when you go to this person, just say like, be like, this contract doesn't offer me any protection. And I would like at least some language saying that like, you will put your best foot forward for making sure this event happens in a whatever manner like you know I don't yeah. I couldn't think of the language then at 10 o'clock at night but um, you know I was like I was like you need some protection totally yeah it's actually why I uh, like my best selling product is called the ultimate bundle and it gives people like legal templates and trainings that they need for an online business and one of the trainings that I added to it a few years ago was about how to read contracts that other people send to you because as creators you know you might hire a web developer or you might hire like a branding person a photographer and I wanted people to know like okay this is what I'm signing away this is what I need yeah. to know this is what they can do to me this is how they can cancel on me this is what I would owe this is what they would owe so I really walked them through in this video, like with a contract right there and show them like, here's how to read it. Here's how to see 
How can they get out of it? How can you get out of it? How is everybody penalized? That's how we're trained as attorneys to review contracts. Yeah, I love that. Um, and it makes me feel kind of good because, again, I secretly wish I was a lawyer. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, I have two more questions in our lightning-ish round. Um, it's more like extended thunder round, I guess, yeah, right? right? Um, the first one is around ownership. And again, this is like selfishly because I'm going through this right now. Um, I guess the way I'm going to word it, right, is let's say the creator is creating content on their channel for, um, for a brand. And uh, the brand wants ownership. How does one, uh, this is really too specific for to me, I think, but I guess the, there's a question around content ownership, right? Mm-hmm. How do you navigate those waters? Let's just get more general about it, right? Yeah. So is there like a default, like this, they always own the content because they paid for it or, or what? It's probably a work for hire issue in, in, mm-hmm. co- in copyright law. And so yeah. like they're probably in whatever they're having you sign saying that this is a work for hire. So they're just hiring you to create work for them. That's why they own it. Right. Um, and you don't get to own it as the creator. Um, this actually is, becomes an issue where some people unbeknownst to them like end up seeing themselves in like a Facebook ad for a company. And then they're like, yeah. what? Like I just created that reel for them. And like now they're using it to monetize. Right. So what I always tell customers is that that should just be part. You should look for that. See like who owns the content, who can reuse it. And then that should just be part of your pricing strategy. Like yeah. I would make the price of what you're charging dependent on like, I know that they can continue to use this and monetize it. So what? feels good to me. And what will not create any resentment on your part? I think that's the most yeah. important thing. Yeah. And I think that's like, I just, I guess I always want to make sure that I'm like not being too aggressive. Right. Cause like, this is what I said. They're like, why is ownership so important to you? And I said, well, for one, it's on my channel. Mm-hmm. My channel is monetized. So I don't want the monetization of my channel to be beholden to the whims of your company. Mm-hmm. Right. That's one thing. Um, and the other thing is like, if you own it, then you could just use it in ads. Like you can use, so like, what if I like blow up and become like the number one podcaster or whatever? To. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, now you're using my image and likeness without right. any extra compensation to me. I said, if you, I said, if you want to own these videos, that's different from a sponsorship, right? Because that was a work for hire contract. I said, this is a sponsorship as mm-hmm. far you are sponsoring content to be created on my channels. I said, if this is work for hire, I can do that, but it's a different engagement it's where different I price, yeah. I charge per finished minute. My face is not going to be in it. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be my voice and it's not going to be on my content properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was like a month ago. So I hope, yeah. I, I assume they just sent it back to their legal team. Like yeah. that's like, yeah. but um, I, like that, I think that's a really, Justin Moore talks about this where like, because I accidentally, accidentally, quote unquote, forfeited like paid usage rights to a brand. Um, and uh, he's like, dude, never do that. Like, what if you blow up and now they're using, they paid like $2,000. Yeah. You can put time limits on stuff. Like yeah. that to be one way. It's like you can use it for a year and then like right. reevaluate. There'd be another right. fee, like a licensing fee essentially. Yeah. 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 And so like, that's like what I do now. It's like, you can have paid usage rights for, I think it's like 25% of the engagement per 30 days or whatever, something yeah. like that. So that makes sense. Um, all right. Last question. That was super fun. Thank you for that. I feel like I just got like free legal advice, yeah. even though I feel like I got like free confirmation of what I thought. Yeah, anytime. Um, and uh, the last question is around um, 
what happens when someone steals your content, right? This is like a rampant problem in the online course space. Like LinkedIn Learning has this problem, right? Where people are taking the courses, recording them and putting them up on like Udemy. Mm -hmm. Shame on Udemy. Like I I can't stand them. But um, so like what can a creator do about that? Yeah, well, actually, we've we've somewhat already addressed this, so I'm glad because like you have to have terms of use at checkout for your course in the first place because that's what's going to be the contractual like thing that the person then breaches. Because a lot of people will just be like, "Oh, they just took my content." It's like, yes, but also if you haven't registered the content, then that puts you in a really weird position. Now you have them on breach of contract because they bought your course, they agreed to these terms when they bought it. And they've now breached that by sharing it in not in accordance with the way that you said that they could share it. So you Mm -hmm. have like this whole other legal branch to go after. And then there's the copyright issue. A lot of course creators, they'll make the mistake of not sending their um, course content off for copyright registration. So you should send your videos, you can send handouts, you can send audio files, whatever it is that's in your course or your membership to the U.S. Copyright Office for registration. You can upload them. They have a digital like form that you can fill out. So you can upload everything. And that's how you register the actual content itself so that you have a presumption of ownership of this material. When you have a copyright certificate, which comes way faster than a trademark, like usually like a month or two, you can get a copyright I'm uh, like waiting three years in on a trade. Yeah, yeah, it'll take forever. Yeah. yeah, it'll take forever. <laughs> and so you can get that like pretty, pretty quickly. Um, and then you can, uh, when somebody like violates us in some way, you're going to be able to take this stuff down like in a snap because basically all you're going to do is send over your copyright certificate. Show on this copyright certificate, it lists out like all these little videos and the pieces of your course and everything. And it's just going to be like no question. There's also the DMCA takedown, you know, route where you can like contact Google, you can contact the server, you can contact the companies. A lot of these individual companies have uh, like reporting processes and legal teams that you can do. But again, if you don't say like, all of my customers always tell me like I was able to just email them and be like, here's a copy of the terms of use that this person agreed to when they bought, and then here's my copyright certificate. Go ahead and take it down, and it's like boom, the stuff's taken down. That's Much really in, that's really interesting. So let me. So do you? Does one? I won't like say you. Does one normally submit every piece of content they create for copyright? So like only that's like in the main in my courses and and like my okay. digital products. They're all okay. registered. Yeah. So like I'm not submitting every episode of my podcast no. for copyright registration. No, you could if you want to. I mean, if you think people are like taking your copy or your um like the outline of your episode and then like just regurgitating it for me. I'm right. just kind of like, that would be just stupid. And I don't know. Yeah. But the, yeah. But, and I think this is where like lawyer Sam takes off her hat and it's like, that seems, yes, of course you could do that. And like the lawyer sure. me tells you that like, you have to, if you want the protection, it's right. also just not practical for our industry, given the amount of content that we output. Right. Right. So I personally do this for like paid products Big meaty stuff, like you could do this for freebies. Like if you have a webinar, if you have handouts, like all that stuff I've registered, like all the big stuff and the money makers, they're all covered. Good to know. And you said that there's like a, there's a form for that. Yeah. Go to the U.S. Copyright Office's website um, and just like go directly to the government site. Don't go to like all these third party private sites because they all just charge you a bunch of stuff. And it's actually Mm -hmm. not very expensive through the U.S. Copyright Office. 
And there's a now a digital like online way to to register. Usually you have to break it down by media type. And so sometimes it's like if you, for me, I had to submit different ones for my course for all the videos and the audio and mm-hmm. then one separately for like documents and PDFs and downloadable gotcha. products. Okay, cool. I will be sure to link that in the show notes, uh, which you will be able to find over at howibuilt.it slash 307. Um, and uh, there'll be, I mean, links to everything we talked about here. So awesome. this, Sam, thanks. This was super helpful. Um, I I need to I need to do a little bit of stuff. Uh, something that we didn't get to because uh, we've been talking for a very long time at this point. But um, I have a fun, I mean, I've already consulted a lawyer about this, but uh, about three months after this show launched, How I Built This, with Guy Raz launched. Yeah. Um, and they were smart and got the trademark on the name first. And so like a little part of me is always like, are they going to like cease and desist me? And my lawyer was like pretty confident that because I can, I have like demonstrable proof that I was here first. They probably won't. Right. She's like, but you should have a plan just in case. <laughs> just in case, yeah. They <laughs> probably like, have okay. a lot of bunny. <laughs> yeah, so. Um, but yeah, so super interesting stuff. So I, I have a little bit of homework. Um, but like I said, I will link all of that stuff in the show notes. Again, that's over at how I built that at slash 307. Sam, if people want to learn more about you and especially, you know, I don't do this for everybody, but you provided so much value. If people want to get the ultimate bundle, like Mm -hmm. where can they go? Yeah. So you can go to samvanderillen.com. Um, you can sign up for my free legal workshop called Five Steps to Legally Protect and Grow Your Online Business. So you can save $400 off the ultimate bundle and get a bunch of free legal templates added to your template pack. Um, so that's one option. And then I would say reach out to me on Instagram. I'm at Sam Vanderwielen on Instagram. You can, uh, you know, DM me if you have any questions. Obviously, I'm happy to help. If there, if you need any individual contract templates, like you just want one template or a privacy policy or something like that, that's all available on my website, samvanderwielen.com slash shop. Um, and then if you obviously love li- listening to podcasts, come over and listen to my podcast on your terms every single Monday and Thursday. I post new episodes with legal and with marketing tips for online businesses. Strongly recommend that podcast. Thank I'm you. A big fan. Sam, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Joe. And thank you for listening. Again, if you want to get an ad-free extended version of this conversation where we talk about like Amy Porterfield uh, and podcast downloads in the industry in general, you can uh, sign up on the show notes page over at howibuilt.it slash 307. Everything you need is there. Thanks to our sponsors, Gap Scout, Groundhog, and LearnDash. And until next time, get out there and build something. <laughs>